So how do you feel? You're a bit sick, aren't you? I have a cold. I feel <clears throat> I feel psychologically content and I'm like at peace and physically like I wish there was a button you could turn on your human body where you just sleep for 10 days. Sleep for 10 days. Yeah, that's that would be so nice. Yeah, or sleep through winter like animals. Oh my god, that would be my dream. Also, because I have a theory that before you hibernate, then you could have like this big feast and eat and eat and drink and drink. And then you go to sleep for three months and you wake up skinny and like with perfect skin and nice long hair because it's just been growing and then <laughs> and you're like hi world I'm fresh and new <laughs> not that you meant me to have long hair or be skinny just to no. out. <laughs> happen literally that's yeah, how animals when they do it yeah your body would just would just feed off your feast for three months <laughs> yeah which is crazy but yeah yeah, it is. I wonder why humans evolved not to be like that anymore. I think because then other creatures could eat us while we were sleeping. Mm. But then a lot of small creatures hibernate and sleep during winter and they can be eaten too. Yeah. Do you think they're better at creating like safe homes? I guess because they're tiny. Yeah, they can hide in trees and stuff. Humans can't hide in a tree. Like humans could only live like in caves or like build things structures and so they are more vulnerable to attacks because yeah I guess like something small can hide really well for three months <laughs> also look at us we're like weird naked pale hairless vulnerable weirdos like <laughs> we're like those hairless cats except in human form yeah, we wouldn't be very warm and like safe um, if we were just like sleeping in a cave for three months. Yeah. I love this little biological excursion. <laughs> Weird. But um, let's get to today because today we're doing the opposite of what the name of this podcast is. Are we going to give advice? We are going to give non-advice. <laughs> so we've got some of your questions here some questions that people have asked you and me um and we're just gonna see what comes what happens take it with a pinch of salt I guess yeah totally this is our our observations and opinions not our advice <laughs> Exactly. We, we just call them observations and opinions, not advice, but that would have been a very, very long podcast title. <laughs> so these are observations and opinions by Nadia and Vienda. <laughs> not, it's not advice. And not advice. Exactly. So maybe you want to do the opposite of what we're saying. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Is your cold like Bushy brain feel ready. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, the first question that was sent in is how do you get over and heal from heartbreak? That's a hard one. How many times have you been heartbroken? Mm. 
many times and i'm i'm talking obviously not just like romantically um mm-hmm. even for like other reasons yeah quite a few times in life how do you heal get over let go how do you come back from that yeah i've been heartbroken so many times also not just romantically but also romantically i kind of have come to the opinion consensus that heartbreak is is part of it's just part of life it's like the pain we feel when something ends whether it's a romantic relationship or something else and we're disappointed and we feel let down is a signifier of the love the depth of the love that we felt and the depth of the connection that we felt as a precursor to the heartbreak. And so I often find that it hurts more the more I've loved or more invested I've been. And for me, oh my gosh, I don't even know. Like every time feels different, but I think what helps the most is giving yourself, like for me, what helps the most is giving myself just space and time to grieve what was without allowing myself to create a narrative around what happened too much. Because I think we can very easily, or our egos can very easily want to start telling us a story about how this person was wrong or it was bad or whatever. And sure, like, you know, everyone makes mistakes and everyone makes missteps and we hurt each other, generally not intentionally, but to just allow yourself to feel the grief of the ending. And in feeling the grief of the ending, you start to then very slowly, sometimes it's really, really slow, open the door to the next things that are coming into your life or making space for those. What about you? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, I agree. I love how um, what you said reminded me of what Glennon Doyle says about grief. Um, She said this thing once, that grief is the receipt for love. Um, So Mm. it's something also beautiful to look at because it's the receipt that you've loved um, and that you had loved and that you were loved. Um, So I really love that perspective. Um, and I agree with you know giving yourself time and space and unfortunately it's different for everyone and when people around you expect you to be well now or to be over it but you're not it can be really hard I, I know this from experience to still like keep grieving and be like I'm sorry but I'm still in this place and I will still need some time and I found that if I am if I allow myself to, if I give myself all the time that I really need, then when I am through it, I am really through it. Like I feel really, really at peace and it doesn't bubble up in a painful way. It can still bubble up, Mm. but not in this horrible, painful way. Mm. Um, And to be honest, I think the question like get over heartbreak or get over someone I'm not sure if 
if I even believe that is a thing or if that's even possible, um, unless someone has been like really horrible to me. But I've realized that if I've loved someone, they stay with me for a really, really, really long time, like maybe forever. I still think of people from 10 years ago that have that are not in my life anymore, whether that's former friends, um, like any and anyone that that I've that I've loved and that has loved me, I still like, you know, hold on to cards or to letters or to like gifts and things. I don't really get over someone. I I I wonder even like what that means. Does it mean that you don't think about that person anymore? Does it mean you don't love them anymore? Does it mean it doesn't hurt anymore? I think what- the latter. I think it's like, what does it take for this not to hurt anymore? That's what the question is. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But like that, yeah, get over. I don't know. I don't think I, personally, that's just my personal. Um, I guess it has also to do like with my temperament and I'm like really melancholic and I'm really nostalgic. I don't really fully let anyone go (laughs) or anything. I can let go of the pain when I, once I feel it, but I don't really like let go of people. And if I hear someone's name or I see someone, I still feel like this soft spot, like, oh, (laughs) like I don't really let go of people but yeah letting go of the pain I think the only way to do it is get go through it like fully through it and that's how you get over it I want to speak to two things one is the sort of I think in our society standard way that people say that you should get through things which is or move get over someone air quotes um which I think often is to just and especially amongst men, because they haven't been given the tools to actually sit with their emotions, is to find a way to escape the pain or override it or get away from it somehow. I remember a few months ago, I went on a date with this guy and I cancelled on him a couple of times, which is like why I ended up going out with him because I felt really bad because I kept cancelling on him. And I cancelled because the last time I cancelled was because a girlfriend of mine had come to my house crying because she'd ended the relationship with her partner and they'd been together for seven years and I was like like my girlfriend is way more important than this guy that I hardly know so I cancelled and when I met him he was like oh like you know how 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 did it go la la and I sort of told him a little bit about about the story and he was like oh so then did you like take her out and get her drunk and I was like what (laughs) and I was like oh like in normal society that I'm not a part of that's normal like instead of instead of being like okay let's like talk about it and sit with what you're feeling and like allow yourself to be in the space conventional society is like let's escape this and get really drunk and find someone to fuck and I was like god you are so weird but um that's what a lot of people think they have to do to get over something that they have to just quickly evade what they're feeling the pain the emotion the confusion the sadness maybe like the loss the the space the grief all of that and finds find something to quickly fill it so that they don't have to feel it 
feel it to not feel it. And it's actually the opposite. Like if you want to move through something, if you want that pain to end, and something that you illustrated really beautifully earlier is to, for it to end cleanly. So it's really complete and really finished. You have to meet yourself where it hurts the most. That's the way through, in my opinion and experience. Yes, same. Also in my experience, like actual personal experience. And that is really, really painful because that can feel like you are dying. That mm -hmm. can feel literally like you are dying in your body. It feels like you can't possibly cry anymore. It feels like you cannot possibly like keep breathing anymore. And it's so scary. And I, a part of me understands why people try to avoid that because it feels like too much. It just feels too, too big, too heavy, too overwhelming. But there's, yeah, there's just no other way. There's no other way to live. Um, uh, other than feeling that and it's so interesting what you said about this guy because it's so many men that I've met on dating apps are like that um when I was on dating apps like they would be on the dating app and would tell me on the dates that they just they ended their relationship four weeks ago or like you know a few weeks ago like very fresh still they hadn't processed detangled anything um and were out there dating again um so yeah just to numb the pain and not feel anything mm, yeah which only works for a short period of time but then they have all of this unprocessed pain and if you get into another relationship with all that unprocessed pain then you bring it into that relationship and you project it or you have to process it within the relationship or like the other person has to like become your fucking therapist Sorry, it doesn't feel very passionate and angry about this because I've been in this position. <laughs> oh, apologies. Um, you know, and you're not taking self-responsibility. It it's not a good or kind or humane way to navigate your own personal pain. Exactly, exactly. And that's, again, that's like, we've spoke about this before, right? That's what people are scared of, like, feeling sadness and grief and pain deeply they just want to be happy they think the purpose of life is just to be happy when the purpose of life is to grow and to be fully alive and to be fully alive you have to feel everything exactly because people think like they can compartmentalize like I'll put my bad feelings my or my my difficult feelings in the box so I put that away and then I can only feel the great feelings, the fun feelings, the light feelings. But the thing that these people don't understand is that you can't do that with feelings. If you don't feel the full impact of your pain, you are not feeling real joy. You are not feeling real love. You are just not feeling those happy feelings at the full impact, the full spectrum that you could um because you can't like cleanly separate your emotions like it's one yeah. um so yeah sorry bad news for the good vibes only crew yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that uh okay next question do you want to add anything no that feels good to me <laughs> hopefully that helps uh even though i know it sucks to hear it but hey the only way okay next question where do we have it here okay so 
this one is a bit of a spicy one. Um, my partner cheated on me, but told me right after and swore it just happened that one time. Do I give him another chance? What do we think? It's so hard because there are no absolutes in life. Mm -hmm. So you don't believe in once a cheater, always a cheater. You don't believe in that statement. I don't believe in absolutes. Um, and I can only speak from my own personal experience which is that I personally have never cheated on anyone, not because I can't, but because I couldn't live with myself if I had made a commitment to be, um, what's the word? Faithful? Yeah, there's another word I was looking for, but yeah, to be with, with that one person. It just wouldn't happen. I just, I know I have like, a level of loyalty and a level of self-truth and a level of integrity that wouldn't allow me to even go there. It just wouldn't yeah. happen. We are Leos. We are Leos. We're loyal. Yeah. I mean, so to me, it's not like, a, oh, my God, it just happened by accident. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also know that not all humans are like this. Mm -hmm. I know quite a number of people who are friends who choose to have open relationships from time to time that are married. And they seem to need that in order for their relationship to work. In fact, their relationship, they solve a lot of their relationship issues by doing that. And so I just don't believe in absolutes. I mean, I think it's so specific to that person and their relationship. Like, what are the what are the rules? And what's the connection like? Do you love each other at such a level where something like this, where like just a physical intimacy with someone else is not comparable to the love you share? Can you forgive each other? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, for me, this is a really hard question to answer. I know that if it happened to me, I would feel, I'd feel quite destroyed because trust and loyalty are really important to me, which is also why I am that way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I hope you have a more coherent answer. I don't. <laughs> Well, this is not advice, so it's fine if we're not coherent, is it? Um, mm. I feel like we don't have enough context as well to, to say, like, obviously to say, do this or do that. And I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't anyway. I wouldn't say, like, what to do. Um, like, we would have to know from this person, like, what was the context of the situation as well? Like, were they drunk? Um, like, were they in a fight? Not that any of this excuses it, but like, if this person says, oh, like, yeah, it just happened this one time, you know, what's the rest of your relationship look like? How long have you known each other? Do you know that this person is, has always been trustworthy? Have they 
showed up for you like always and this is like this one-off thing that happened although I have to be honest for me as the same as you said I don't believe cheating just happens like oops like I'm sorry I don't believe this happens I, I just don't believe this happens to integrous people like even if you're drunk or like I I just don't I find it really hard to believe and if someone would cheat on me for me it would be over um, I wouldn't care about the context. I really wouldn't because I would want to be with someone that has that level of self-respect and respect for me um, to not get himself into a situation like that and to still be lucid and make a conscious choice. And if that person wouldn't want to be in the relationship anymore, they would tell me before going and cheating. So that's what I would do um so personally for me it would be a complete like that's it but as as you said not everyone's the same there are people who recover from cheating um and who make it work because yeah because they have overall like a wonderful relationship and this one thing happened again I don't I struggle believing oops it's a mistake but some people can get over that. So it's kind of, I guess, looking at the context of why, how did it happen? What is the rest of your relationship look like? Um, you know, were you like overall happy with the connection? Is it like a solid, a fruitful, great relationship? Like just looking at the overall context as well. And then if it is actually really good, then, you know, being willing to, really talk through it go to therapy uh give this person another chance um and see you know um if it works out like I don't know if they're able to to trust them and again the relationship is otherwise really great then yeah I feel like we don't have enough context but it is very very individual and specific to every person yeah um, yeah there's definitely people who come back from it. I, I really, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. I really don't, but um, good luck. Good luck <laughs> to you, girl. Um, next question is uh, something about fear, wasn't it? Oh yeah, here, here we go. Um, someone's having a big life change. <laughs> How do you do something you really want to do, but are scared of? We love that question. I love that question. I mean, Nadia and I wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't do things we're scared of. All the time. All the time. And so something that I like to do is to reframe fear as the doorway to the things that I want so I actually know that I'm close to something that's really important and meaningful to me when I feel a lot of fear around it and that's really I know that's not easy to digest and, and we do like to stay in our comfort zones myself as well like things sometimes take a long time for me to action because I'm in the fear space of like eh, what happens if like everything falls apart and all my worst nightmares come true which is usually not what happens but like that's what fear feels like you're in this place but also what's really interesting about fear is it's just fear is 
being stuck in your head about what might happen. It's not actually connected to any of the action that you take. Because when you start taking action, it's a completely different story or sphere that you're in. So fear is actually just like a weird thing in your head. It's not connected to reality or to what you're actually doing. So, I mean, you have to, it's it's really valuable to feel the fear and recognize it and also invite it along as a, as a, I was going to say a passenger on your journey, but that reminds me of um, Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Big Magic and she actually tells this beautiful story about how whenever she's stepping into a new project or doing something new and fear comes along. I don't know if she calls it fear, but maybe, I think so. She does. I think, yeah, I think she does with the car analogy. Exactly. And she says she invites fear to come along, but she's like, you're not in the driver's seat, you're in the back with the snacks. And I really like that. It's like, okay, well, fear is going to come whether we like it or not, but we can also tell it where it's sitting on the on the ride and on the journey. Like, I get to drive, you're in the back with the snacks, hand me the peanuts, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that picture. So it's it's just so true. Like, when do you ever do something completely unafraid? Like, almost never. Um, unless you've done something repeatedly because fear, because courage is like a muscle, like you train it, the more you do something and then, you know, it gets easier. But every time you're doing something new or something that you really want, like you just said, and but you haven't done yet, like it's it it's always scary. And I hate those like Instagram posts or whatever, like, you know, when life coaches and business coaches post like get over, overcome your fear get over your fear here's how to overcome your fear you don't because you it makes it sound like you have to first overcome that fear before you can do anything but that's not reality the reality is if you ask anyone we mostly do stuff while we're still afraid that's the only way to do it (laughs) um you do it afraid yeah. Period. You just do it afraid. And then your courage grows like a muscle. The more often you do that thing you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I just, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah. That happens so easily. <laughs> um, something that I wanted to add in terms of fear is sometimes what can help is to give yourself a very pragmatic worst case scenario so if I do this thing that I'm afraid to do what's the absolute worst thing that could happen and when you do the worst case scenario story you often realize that the absolute worst thing isn't that bad like it's unlikely that whatever you're going to do is going to end you up homeless on the streets addicted to heroin it's really unlikely (laughs) so Whatever you're going to do, like the worst thing that's probably going to happen is your ego might be a bit bruised because it didn't work. Or you might have let someone down and you'll have to communicate that. Or, you know, those kinds of things, which are really not life or death threatening. They're more just like ego and like emotional maturity threatening. Exactly. And that is so true. And I was thinking as well, like sometimes you know, you don't throw yourself into everything like without thinking. That's not what courage is, right? You do 
think about stuff and you, you know, you look at options and you calculate the risk in your head and stuff. And there are things that you also have to prepare for before, you know, before you go out and do them. Like if you're moving country and like, there's a lot to consider, right? You have to prepare for some things. And this is not about, you know, just, yeah, just, just throw yourself into something without thinking. Um, Yeah. There's things we have to prepare for. And sometimes there is a period I think where um, we just we just have to sit in that fear before we can act um and and we're like paralyzed and stuck and we can't like we can't go back and we can't go forward um because we're like stuck in that fear um but yeah I think once you've you know when you once you've done your work <laughs> once you've done your research and you know this is what you want and this potentially could be amazing and then then at that point you know you 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 have to go for it you you just have to do it even like thinking that fear means you know that you're not prepared enough or you're not good enough or all of these things that's not what fear means fear is just there to protect you like it's just your animal instinct right to protect you from dying (laughs) um but it doesn't mean that you're not ready or that you will fail um that's not what fear means even though sometimes we have to sit in that for a little bit but I feel like there comes a point when the desire becomes bigger than the fear and that's when we act yeah yeah there's a tipping point I agree Hmm. Yeah, there's a point where the fear is bigger still than the desire to do something. And then we're like, oh, no. But yeah, I think at some point it's like, okay, the desire gets bigger um, and you just can't. I feel like you wanted to say something else. It passed already. Oh, sorry. We're losing, we're losing all the all threats. <laughs> we're losing all the threats today. Um, I love this. I love our non-advice advice. advice. We actually secretly just want to give all this advice on our non-advice podcast. We actually secretly just all want you to tell what to do with your life. (laughs) So go forth and be brave. 